Welcome to Move with Deb. I'm Deb, your friendly neuroplastician, and this is a podcast that explores the relationship between the body and the mind from a health at every size, judgment-free perspective. I teach you how developing a new internal conversation based on curiosity, self-friendship, and simple neuroplasticity techniques can rewire your body mind out of pain and emotional overwhelm to help you build the rich, full life that you want to live. Disclaimer, this is not a replacement for medical care. Hi, this is Deb with Move With Deb podcast, and I've been thinking a lot about emotions and the power of a strong emotion. So I was just in the CVS parking lot scrolling Facebook, as you do, especially during COVID. I've noticed my willingness to be around other people has certainly diminished, so I find myself sitting in my car, extending that period of time before interacting with other people. I like to think of that as a good self-protection adaptation. And so, of course, Facebook is a wild card. Sometimes it shows you things that delight you. Sometimes it shows you things that enrage you. So I found out that my old friend, Erica Watson, died of COVID. And there was this instant moment of regret having looked at Facebook because I was like, now is not the time to feel this. Now is not the time to like take in this information. Of course, my body immediately responded and I was very upset. It brought up lots of thoughts. The last time I saw Erica, which was at least a decade ago when I had my store, she used to be around redress. She's a comedian. And there were so many things that I liked and appreciated about Erica, trying to make her way as a fat black female comedian. And that was what I loved about redress is just getting to meet people I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Being able to be that kind of hub, make those kinds of connections and bring people together. And then of course my brain wanted to think about redress and I was like, I still have a lot of unexamined shame around the store. So that came up. My anger about COVID, my anger about the mistreatment of fat people, of black people, of women, in how much medical stigma happens in our lives, how that takes people's lives away from us. Of course, I thought about COVID and how it was so mismanaged. And all of this is like, all of these are my inputs into my body-mind system. As I was sitting there with the news that my friend Erica had died, I was thinking about the power of a strong emotion and what its role is in our life. What is the role of an emotion? Now that I have this kind of different worldview of the body and the mind being one system and looking at it that way, I think about our body's activation towards change. And I think about all my friends, myself, who are activists who want change in the world because we care about people, because we care about injustice, because we care about our own survival and the survival of people that we love. I was just thinking about how the role of strong emotion and how that relates to action, but then how it also can become this kind of maladaptive habit in which we 
kind of are always pinging ourselves, always reacting then with strong emotion. And how that, that level of input turns what is important function for ourselves in creating change in our life and for society. And I think society is obviously just kind of a, a macrocosm of our own human ecosystem. Then we kind of put a bunch of humans together and we have a larger ecosystem that's operating in an even larger ecosystem, which are nature. And I was just thinking that sometimes when we get reactive to the input that comes in, to the emotion that comes in, the strong emotion comes in, and it, we don't make room for having a feeling, that then we make the feeling a problem, and then we label a strong feeling, because how it enters our body-mind system can be very intense, can have a lot of intensity, that can feel very uncomfortable. So if we are used to suppressing that, or we're used to getting swept away by it, they're not problems, they're just, they're just conditioned responses to what is natural, which is outrage, to what's natural, which is a strong emotion. And so part of the work that I'm doing with myself and that I get to do with my clients is breaking open all of the little pieces and getting curious about them. Learning how to witness, like witness all of our inputs. I like to move away from emotions and naming that as such and just kind of even neutralize it and say it's a it's an input maybe it's an input of words in our head or sensations in our body because one of the things that i think reinforces avoidance and whether that's in taking action politically or personally in our life is perpetuating the habit of anxious avoidance and we want to avoid things for our own benefit. Avoidance and anxiety is an important adaptive safekeeping skill. If we're keeping ourselves safe, we maybe learned something once upon a time and we never unlearned it. And so one of the best things that I've found to neutralize the intensity of anxiety and avoidance is to start to work with curiosity and self-compassion. And they're very much embodied physical experiences. When you work with me, they may sound like, well, that's human. You're okay. And we think that being okay is kind of like blah and bland, and it means we're not really in the world. The way I view it is really recognizing okay is that I have the capacity for survival that all of these functions that are in my body-mind, that are managing my body budget, remember, because the brain is not made for thinking, that all of these forces in my life are here to perpetuate my survival. And so when I look for the things that I take for granted and bring those out of my unconscious awareness and bring them consciously, I can also feel the other side of the teeter-totter, I often talk about this with my clients when we're scanning for danger, when we are creating safety by building our scanning for danger muscles, that teeter-totter is very unbalanced. What our brain does not notice, does not focus on, is actually all of these things in our lives that go undetected because they're not a threat. So that might mean having stable housing for this moment, having enough food 
for this moment. Friendships and love relationships that we have, but we're not noticing because we're paying attention to the one that's troubling us. Thinking about positive changes we've made in our lives, the things that we can do with delight, but we take that for granted. And I don't, I kind of hate the way that we've talked about taking things for granted as if it comes with this judgment, you should feel grateful attitude taking something for granted to me becomes an important guide. What we are not noticing holds the key to repatterning our minds away from reactivity, away from being swept up by strong emotions and being able to hold them, being able to love ourselves, being able to use our brain because it's not being carried off in a like neurological, biochemical, hormonal surge. When we allow ourselves to live the fully human experience, which means there is always tragedy, there is always sadness, there is always despair, there are always people dying, there is always injustice, and there is also the opposite. I want to share this quote that I've seen a bunch of times this week, probably because we're all passing it around on Facebook with each other. And I really love it. It's been helping me a lot this week. This week I received some more tough news after finding out that my friend Erica died. It's been a journey. So this quote is, A disco ball is hundreds of pieces of broken glass put together to make a magical ball of light. You aren't broken. You are a disco ball. And I love that because, I mean, I would say maybe you are broken and you are a disco ball. I don't know. I have a tattoo on my arm that says broken. It's very adorned now with some other art. Rainbows and butterflies and crystals. It's on the other side of another text based tattoo that says open. I got open first after I'd opened my store. Originally, I just got the O and I was too superstitious to get the rest of the word open. So I just got the O because I told myself if I got the word open, then my store would close. And I got the word open and my store also closed or I closed it. Right after I closed my store and my mother was dying, I got the word broken tattooed on my arm because that was the truest reflection of how I felt. And I didn't feel tragic about it, but I needed to remember that that was how I felt in that moment. And then that was okay. So, you know, what do you do? You get a big old tattoo. And people are very interesting with this tattoo. Now it's adorned with a lot of things. It doesn't stand out as starkly as it used to, but before when it was just broken on my forearm, often people would want to know, did I break my arm? And I did, but I don't think it was that arm. I think it was my other arm when I was young, roller skating. And they want to know why I got this tattoo. They wanted it to say unbroken. A lot of people were were very upset that I had this belief about myself tattooed on my arm. And I didn't 
get it to mean that I was broken like there was something wrong with me. It was that I felt broken and I wanted to be able to not reject having a feeling. And I look at that as the main understanding in TMS is that we do not want to reject having a feeling. We don't have to make a home in it and live it and claim it as an identity. I do not have to be a broken person to feel broken at times by life. Sometimes we have a feeling and then we have a pressure to not have a feeling. We are told that we shouldn't feel something. I have a lot of clients whose families of origin shamed them for crying, told them that they should suck it up. I have a story from my mother when I had my first breakup. I had been with my partner for 10 years and we broke up and my mother told me to get over it. And that was 100% around her discomfort over my mood state. I was unhappy, depressed, confused. I mean, I had the ending of my 10-year relationship and I was told to get over it. I do think I managed to say back to her, if I had gotten a divorce, would you tell me just to get over it? Because this was back in the day when we were not able to get married, so therefore we were not able to get divorced. And I was curious. I was like, if we got divorced, would you tell me to get over it? And regardless of what my mother thought about my relationship, she had always been very open and loving towards my partner, but she was not open and loving towards my having a feeling that was uncomfortable for her. And so we take these messages in, especially when we're young, we adapt to them, either because we want to make the grown-ups in our family happy, we think that's our role, we get that kind of message. I mean, who knows why? Just somewhere in our child brain, it makes sense to us. And then we live out and perpetuate that idea until one day we wake up and say, oh, I notice that I'm doing this. Do I need to keep doing this? Is this a choice that I would make again right now? So that's how it is with feelings. Human beings feel all kinds of feelings, feel the whole gamut. In Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How Emotions Are Made, and also in the work of Susan David, Emotional Agility, they both talk about emotional granularity has been studied to improve people's mental and physical health. So that means having a greater language to describe your feeling states. So it's hard to have more language around how you're feeling if at the same time you're not letting yourself feel things. And I'm going to remind you again that feeling things is not the same thing as expressing things. It's certainly not the same thing as acting out based on an emotion. So the intensity with which we do not allow to me becomes a vibration in the body that amplifies pain, distress, fear, intolerance, the intolerability of the present moment of whatever sensation you're experiencing. And that is one way that we can take like a passerby of a neutral physical sensation and turn that into chronic pain. There's just a physical sensation just flowing through your body at the same time you're having a strong emotion. If you have a lot of aversion, that pain 
can get swept up in that experience, in that fear experience. And then your neurons just kind of link it together. And then depending on which kind of practitioner you go to, everybody's going to see the problem in a different way. They're going to see the problem through their lens. It's like that story about the blind man and the elephant. So each person is on a different side of the elephant. Now they've never, I think the story is that they've never seen an elephant before. So all they're doing is describing immediately what they can touch on their end. So one of them describes the trunk of an elephant and one of them is like, oh no, it's got this long thin nose, which is describing the tail. So each practitioner you go to is going to see their part of your body-mind story. Some of them do not understand the link between strong emotions or emotional reactivity or suppression as being related to this nervous system, fear, protection, alarm, distraction system. Sometimes I talk to people on Facebook groups for TMS and they report that they're terrified of their pain. And then I ask them why, and they don't know. And when we don't know something, but we're reacting to it, of course it's terrifying. That is maybe the description of a monster because we're not letting ourselves see through the dark and break apart these conditioned responses, lay them all out in front of us, sprinkle a little neutralizing agent. What might that be? Baking soda, shine a light on them, and really get to understand what it is that we're afraid of. Some of our fears are just ideas of what we think might happen in the future. Some of our fears are problems that with maybe some help we can solve for right now. Some of our fears are thoughts and feelings about what other people might think about us. But when we don't look at it, we don't let ourselves, that's the part where it becomes very large, very loud, very intense. And our body feels that and it responds. So I've done a lot of Instagram lives this week. And what I hear myself saying over and over again is to meet yourself with kindness. And God, when I say that, I just think, really, Deb, is this all you have to offer people? And maybe that is all I have to offer people. My challenge, and like, I feel really up to it, is to come up with the 50,000 ways to say that, to help you feel and experience that, to help you see that you are as wonderful as I think you are, and for you to step a little bit further into willingness. Hop on that train to Curiosity Town with me and start to really let yourself look around that corner and see what it is that you're reacting to. Sometimes we need help to do that, and that's great especially when it is a space that is cultivated for caring, for celebrating this kind of inquiry. So I guess maybe that's all I have to talk about today. Do this kind of feelings work in my eight-week pain recovery program? Weeks two and three are thoughts and feelings, and I help you map this experience of observing a thought and then feeling the corresponding feeling and practicing that awareness, practicing 
getting familiar with that experience, developing your lazy detective, which is the skill that you go out into your world with. I think this week I gave my client homework to just notice and then be kind. And if you're really curious to know how that will help you get out of pain, you can hop on Curiosity Call with me. I'm wishing you all well. I'm wishing you rootedness and exquisite love and care for yourself. And I'll talk to you next week.